Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom, and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. Hello, this is Magda, and today on Her Stories, we speak with Karma Ekmekji. Karma is an international affairs advisor to the former PM of Lebanon, Saad Hariri, and the founder of Hashtag Diplowoman. Welcome, Karma. Hello, Magda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm here in Beirut, not too far away from you, but, uh, you know, <laughs> confined like you. But with the coronavirus, we're all far away, unfortunately. Um, uh, Karma... I know you well, and you are such a, you wear so many hats and you're so multidimensional. If you had to describe yourself to someone, to me, how would you describe yourself? Give me a little bit background about karma. Well, I'd like to think of myself as someone who can bridge uh, opinions and bring people together rather than create wedges between opinions and ideas and people and countries. Um, I see myself as uh, someone who uh, has much to learn yet, but who's already had quite the experience um, over my 15-year period career between the United Nations and the um, you know public sector or the parapublic sector advising um, the Prime Minister of Lebanon on foreign policy. Um, during these times, I've seen a lot, I've heard a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, I feel like I can be someone who can uh, bring opinions together at a time where, you know, people are really need to be brought together, not only physically, but, but also, you know, um, to connect ideas and try to create less wedges between each other. Uh, before we get into more details about your experience, can you get us give us a little bit of a small description about the context in which you developed Lebanon. I know it's a big history. I know it's complicated. But as simply as you can, the context in which you work, operate and live. So um, I spent the first uh, eight years of my life in a civil war. So I was, uh, you know, my, my childhood, my early childhood was growing up in a civil war. It was uh, tough in many ways. I have two boys right now and I see how they've had their childhood, knock on wood, thankfully. And I didn't have any of that uh, growing up. Uh, well, you know, in my childhood. So I come from a background of parents who have worked very hard, middle class family, uh, always working super hard uh, to get somewhere. So I've learned that very early on. I've learned that we need to work super hard in our lives uh, to achieve things. Things are not offered. Mm. Things are, don't come on a silver platter. Um, as well as, you know, um, appreciating peace because I've seen conflict mm. and I've seen war and I refuse to go back to such a state. Uh, and I will do everything in my power uh, and I will do everything in my uh, capabilities, abilities to avoid or to prevent that from happening. And I think that is the main drive that led me to work in this field. It was that, you know, appreciation for peace because, you know, you have something to compare it to and because you don't want your children to live in, in that um, 
situation. Um, and so this is what drove me to work in international affairs and diplomacy, um, especially in a country that even though the civil war ended in 1990, turmoil never stopped. Exactly. There were always instabilities. You know, as you know, we have, uh, we're bordered by Syria and occupied Palestine or Israel for those who recognize uh, that's the state of Israel. And we have always um, been in a, in a situation where, you know, we've had to struggle to keep our stability or our neutrality, which we lack. And as such, I felt like my work brought out a lot of uh, those realities and therefore my mediating you know, the need so mm -hmm. that we can bring opinions closer together and to avoid uh, conflict from, from spiraling. And I think what you've just said also brings out the fact that peace and conflict are not monodimensional. Okay, technically, like I technically live in a country that's peaceful. I'm living in one of the safest countries in the world. But is it peaceful? So I think what you're saying about things... You get a peace settlement, but is there peace afterwards? You get a government in power, but are things settled? So I think you've brought about... Absolutely. And one thing that I've worked on for the past 10 years extensively is that, as some of, of some of our listeners may know, in, in 2006, there was a war. Uh, you know, between um, that was that started by Israel and and there was a war between Lebanon and Israel. And, uh, you know, there was a Security Council re resolution that ended that, you know, conflict. But that Security Council resolution uh, stipulated a cessation of hostilities uh, to be moved towards a permanent ceasefire. We still have not moved <laughs> to a permanent ceasefire 10 years later. And that's one of the areas that I've worked a lot on and focused a lot on in the past few years, well, in the past 10 years, uh, to be able to achieve. And it tells you how difficult that is, you know, given mm. all the regional dynamics and all the, the inertia that comes with the diplomacy. Exactly. Uh, so like you said, yes, uh, I, I fully agree with you. Um, tell me, and in all of this, you also live in the Middle East. You're a woman. How mm -hmm. has that played a part in how your career has developed or your interests has developed? And how have you seen you as a woman? What perspective do you, do you think you bring a different perspective or do you think everyone brings different perspective? Well, firstly, I do think everyone brings in a different perspective. I think inclusivity is key. Um, and I think that at a time where, you know, we see how the, 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 the world order is, is changing, you know, we had a new world order post-World War II, and now we see, no, we absolutely need a new world order. Uh, this is not working and, and things are about to change. You know, uh, I feel like if we don't be we don't adopt a participatory approach mm -hmm. uh, while you know exploring this new world order that is about to be you know developed or or, or carved out mm -hmm. without involving the youth, without involving um, you know those with special needs, without involving men and women and everything in between, it was it's going to be extremely extremely tough to succeed. You know, as a planet, as a humanity. And and therefore, I think everyone and can I, matters. Uh, and can I interrupt? Can I can I interrupt you? And without being respectful to the planet, of course, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Because, you know, this is our home. And mm. I think the coronavirus, I mean, I don't want to sound uh, uh, like an eco-fascist, but uh, the coronavirus has shown, you know, that uh, the world needs to slow down, that we are polluting beyond the capacity of absorption mm. and that this is not sustainable. And, and this coronavirus period has allowed me to reflect on how much carbon footprint each and every one of us, you know, have. I mean, I love traveling. I love attending conferences and panels and all that, but a lot We've done so much in the past two months just by sitting in our living rooms uh, online that maybe we need to start thinking how to save that money and to decrease our carbon footprints, you know. And instead of having 10 conferences a, a year on a certain issue, let's have one and let's do the rest online. You know, so these things, I mean, we can talk about those more. But to yeah. go back to, you know, as a woman in the Middle East, listen, it's a tough place. Um, and, uh, sometimes, you know, I, uh, I speak with, with women who are not from the Middle East and I realize how much similar our challenges are. Mm. You know, I feel like, you know, we think in the Middle East that these, these challenges as women are unique to us, that we are the only ones suffering from patriarchal societies, that we are the only one who feel like, you know, we're marginalized. Exactly. But in fact, the more I speak to Europeans, the more I speak to Americans, I realize it's not true. I feel like, you know, this is a challenge that is faced by women everywhere, uh, African women, mm -hmm. uh, women everywhere. And that unless we unite and have a global, you know, um, uh, uh, to address this globally, mm. uh, you know, we're never going to be able to succeed locally. Now, I agree with you. The more I get involved in networks beyond the small one I used to be involved in, the more I realize that if I, I don't hear your story and you don't hear my story and we don't work together, it ain't going to happen. We've got to, we've got to share resources, information. We've, we've got to have each other's backs. So I agree with you that it's, it's a, a stereotype that perhaps Middle Eastern women are the only ones suffering under patriarchy. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, that. But, but, but to go back to what, what I feel, I mean, uh, and from my personal experience, absolutely. I mean, being a, a woman, you know, uh, being heapeated all the time, you know, you say something in a meeting, you think it's a, it's a great idea. Nobody takes it into consideration. Two minutes later, a man says it and it's adopted as, a, <laughs> as an action plan, you know, so you... It, this heapeating, you know, the, that he repeats yes. when he he repeats after you, then it's taken. So that's something that we, you know, I feel in in Lebanon and the region, a lot of women uh, feel that. And then don't forget that the Middle East as a whole is is a, a region in turmoil. So according yes. to the Global Peace Index of 2019, the Middle East is the least peaceful region in the world, right? Uh, and so with all these conflicts you know, happening uh, and, and having 70 years of this, of this instability in the region, one wonders, I mean, men have not done a good job. Not you know, haven't. I mean, it's not that I'm saying that because I want to nag. I'm, the numbers show it, the conflicts show it, and the people involved in the conflicts show it. And therefore what I'm, you know, aspiring towards or working for through Diplowomen when I created this initiative is to say that we've tried the men, they failed. <laughs> So I'm not saying women are going to succeed. Maybe the region is cursed, but let's try the women and maybe they will succeed. And then we can only, you know, see the difference. And so uh, that's that's the whole, you know, that's what drives me, basically. And now you mentioned hashtag Diploma Woman. Tell me a little bit about it because you've mentioned it before and I'd like to hear a more holistic description sure. of it. Because I think so, that because I think Diplo Woman is actually who Karma is. 
<laughs> well, I, the thing is, let me let me uh, let me try to be brief, but try to be comprehensive in the way mm, I explain. Okay. It. So, uh, Diplo Women is inspired uh, by by New Power, and New Power. I'm not sure if if you read this book. It's it's a it's a book called New Power by Heyman and Tims, and mm-hmm. what they argue is that old power is when somebody had the power, kept the power for themselves. And did everything not to share that power or give it away. So it was okay. more of a currency. You have a dollar, you want to keep it for yourself. New power is like a current. You have it, you want to share it. You want to propagate it. You want to, you know, the, the more people have that new power, the better. So for example, me too, hashtag me too is an example of new power, right? It's an example of how a small hashtag created a big movement. Nobody owned it. Nobody said, this is mine. You're not allowed to use that hashtag. I've trademarked it. No, it was open for everyone, you know? So that's an example of a positive use of new power. And Mm. that's what I see Diplowoman doing. So I've been for the past few uh, years reflecting on the idea of the democratization of women, peace and security, the democratization of you know, uh, having more women in peace processes and mediation, et cetera. What does that mean? It means that when we talk about women, peace and security, or the need for more women in high level decision-making positions, we talk amongst elites, right? So I go to a conference, I give a paper, the audience who are invited there because they're elites in the topic and they're experts in the topic clap for me. And then they speak and I clap for them. And then we go home. Mm. So the average person on the street does not know what women, peace and security is, does not know what security council resolution 1325 is. They don't know these things. Mm. And I draw a parallel with climate change 20 years ago when people, you know, the scientists and the politicians knew what climate change was, but the average person on the street didn't. You fast forward to today and a fifth grader does their school project on climate change. You know, my six-year-old son knows what climate change Mm. means. And so the, the, the whole topic has been democratized. Yes. We, in our field, we still haven't been able to reach the average person and explain to them what we do. We failed in that. Yes, we did. So far, we have not been able to create that channel. So I say, so I argue that maybe that's because we haven't utilized all the stakeholders available to us, whether it's the media or the private sector or more academics or more civil society, although they've been there since the beginning, but not enough. Whereas media and private sector have been absent mm. uh, from the beginning, right? So Diplowoman, what Diplowoman tries to do, and this is something that, you know, I'm very grateful to uh, former ambassador, UK ambassador, Tom Fletcher. Uh, who's also uh, an uh, NYU Abu Dhabi professor and now will be uh, the principal, one of the uh, principals of one of the 12 colleges at Oxford starting September. Uh, we worked together to develop Diplowoman further mm-hmm. to be able to reach, try to reach the audience, the masses, the yes. mainstream, so that we take it away from the elite and make, create ownership for the girls who are 15 and 14 and their only role models right now are, are models on the, on, in fashion models or Kim or Kardashian. Why, why is that the case? Why do they have more access to these people and don't know uh, the, the great women who are in politics or in diplomacy? Mm-hmm. And so 
One way to democratize, one simple first step to democratize this was to create a word that is palatable to the mainstream. And this is how Diplowoman came about. Because when we speak at conferences, what do we say, Magda? We say, we need more uh, mediators, negotiators, facilitators, special envoys. Mm. These are terms that you and I know. But the average person, I mean, av- when I say average, I mean, I mean, not one who is involved in this field does not know. Yes, I agree. So I wanted to lump all these terms. And in my op-ed, the one that I've shared with you, I say that I, I ambassadors, special envoys, facilitators, mediators, peace builders, uh, 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 peacekeepers, UN peacekeepers, for instance, or or African Union peacekeepers, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these are diplomats. They are all women who are using their diplomatic tools, mm. you know, their which include negotiation, diplomatic tools, includes mediation, mediation. includes facilitation to bring about peace and positive change to a unstable situation. And therefore, diplomacy came about. Okay. The word diplomacy came about. Tell me, did you, uh, diplomacy, you started at the same time as you joined the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network? Or, no, or, uh, or was no, it an idea before? Actually, it was two years before. Okay. Two years before. Yeah, I started it in January of 2017. And it's a funny story how it started. I was in 2016, I was selected to be uh, one of the UK, the UK foreign offices, uh, the you know, the foreign Commonwealth offices, um, international uh, leaders mm-hmm. program. And so I went to this program and there were 20 other um, individuals from across the world in my cohort. And the first night we had networking drinks and the first question everyone asked me was what what's your twitter handle and i said i don't have twitter <laughs> and i said so what's your facebook handle i said i don't have facebook and i said then what's your instagram handle i said i don't have answers they said you're not on social media i said no i'm not on social media i think that i mean i'm a private person and i don't feel like that's something for so, me sorry can said, i can i interrupt you i remember yeah. asking you a similar question <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so what happened was I said, uh, oh my God, I'm, I don't exist. I told myself in my head, oh my God, I don't exist. I'm a non-existent person <laughs> because in this day and age, I'm not in social, on social media. And so they said, but how can you not be on social media? You're an Arab woman from the Middle East. You know, you're a minority because I'm ethnically Armenian as mm. well. And you're, you come from a minority and you have so much to say and you have to share your voice. So I let, I let it at that and I came back home and I had this conversation with my husband and I said, you know, I'm not on social media because he isn't either. You know, we've, we've never cared for being on social media. But then, you know, this was November 2016 and the idea kept on simmering in my head and I said, no, I do have something to say. And I think this is the new channel of communication. And so I need to be present. And I decided to be present on Instagram precisely for the democratization reason, because I feel the audience on Instagram is different than the audience in tw- on Twitter. I agree with I you. Do have a, I do have a Twitter account. I use it very rarely, uh, mostly for retweeting or following you, Magda. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, um, I felt like the crowd on Instagram does not know what women, peace and security means. The crowd there, you know, is more into pop culture and fashion and and that they need to be somehow also guided to 
towards these concepts. And, and, and I never call the people who, who follow me on Instagram followers because they're not followers. They're some, they're people accompanying me on a journey, right? So they're, they're more like companions rather than followers. I don't like the word followers too much. So, um, so I felt like I need to, I needed to be on, on, on uh, social media and I chose Instagram as the main platform. Uh, I have, uh, to, to interrupt you, I must admit, I agree with you. I'm not very good on Instagram. I haven't got, um, Twitter is a good social media, but its target market is definitely different to Instagram. Target market, yes. you, and, you're getting more people, like- you bringing together a bigger tribe of people that think like you. But it's still an elite. Yeah. And at the same time, I feel like um, Twitter has become a little bit of an echo chamber, right? I mean, you start following people that are exactly like in the field that you are mm. in and then they 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 clap for you or they, they disagree with you. So they curse you. And that's the limits of what it is. Yes. Whereas on Instagram, there's a different uh, space. You know, of course, you get cursed. You, of course, you get appraised, but also... There's a, it's a different, for me, it's a different, um, experience than, than Twitter is. So this is why I've, I've chosen it. I mean, I do have a Twitter account. It's at K Diplowoman, but I'm mainly present as a Carmike Mechie Diplowoman on, on Instagram. Tell me, um, what role has the Mediterranean Woman Mediators Network played in your life and in the life of Diplowoman? So let me just clarify one thing. Diplowoman, was never or is never intended to be another network. It's mm. not intended okay, to create good. that, you know, it's not an association where, you know, you become a member and then I ordain or bless you as a diplomat. It doesn't work that way. I don't baptize you as diplomat. Like everyone can be diplomat. Everyone can use the hashtag. It's not from, it's not for me to keep on the contrary. It will, I'll be shooting myself in the foot if it's for me to keep. Okay. It's for me to share. It's for others to share. It's for people to use when they make these posts so that we can create, you know, because the hashtag can be followed. And then you create this online Instagram uh, hashtag Diplowoman database where we can all see who these people are, mm. right? So if you post something and you hashtag Diplowoman and then someone in Africa hashtags it and then someone in Australia hashtags it, you know, we use that one hashtag okay. to define our work. Then we have a database automatically created. Okay. Now I'm understanding. You don't money for it. It's just there, you know. Okay. Okay. Now I'm understanding it better. And on the mediators, uh, the Mediterranean Mediators Network, other than that, that it brought me to you and that okay. we met and we became <laughs> close friends. Uh, I think that I've, I've met so many amazing human beings, amazing women who have done so much in their respective fields, in their countries. I'm privileged and blessed to be part of this group and in turn, uh, part of the global alliance Absolutely. for women mediators. Um, and I feel like this is only the beginning. You know, we're in our infancy stage. We still haven't done everything we want to do and we still haven't started. So I'd say to all these listeners, watch out for these <laughs> networks. You know, we're going to, we're going to change. We're going to change the world. Well, I totally agree with you. Every time I go to a meeting of either the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network or the Women Mediators across the Commonwealth, I I learn one more thing. I meet one more awesome woman. I'm surprised with something new. So I I agree with you. Peace is on her way. 
<laughs> yes. We're going to change the world and the paradigm. Because we're going to give a piece of our minds. <laughs> Yes, we're going to get a piece of, we are going to give a piece of mind. If you had a bit of advice to give to younger women coming into diplomacy, what would that be? How would you, how would, how would you, what would you tell them not to make their journey shorter? Because we all need to make our mistakes. Of course, of course. What, no, what, I, I've, yes, I've but, learned early on that we can't let others learn from our mistakes. That everyone may, needs to make their own mistakes. But I. Think, so what, but what is the piece of advice you would give? A younger woman or man, because I agree with you, we need men along with us on this journey. Hundred percent. I think. Mm. Um, I think we need neo feminism <laughs> because feminism, the, the old school, the the way it's un- the understanding. I think right now it, it's, it's it's starting to become obsolete. Like uh, you know how every concept needs to renew itself. Um, we definitely need uh, when we say feminists, we also mean men. Huh? We also mean yes. the men, the he for she's. The, the support, you know, the, the ones who are going to help us pave the way forward. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. But for the young girls, I would say uh, this is, um, and I always say this to my students as well when I, or, or when I give seminars, uh, I always give this example. And sometimes if someone's heard this before, I'm sorry, it's redundant, but I feel like it's really um, to the point is that we don't work in a field where we go home at the end of the day you know, we don't own, own a store where we go home at the end of the day, open up our Excel sheets and say, today we made $500 or today we lost $400. Mm-hmm. The impact of the work we do may or may not be felt in our lifetimes. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating mm-hmm. work what we do, right? It's sometimes, you know, maybe the impact would be felt by my children, maybe by their grandchildren, the work that I'm doing today. Who knows? So mm-hmm. if someone is going into this business to reap rewards or reap quick rewards, then this is not for you because this business requires a lot of patience, right? It requires a lot of self-motivation. You know, sometimes you'll get frustrated and you need to motivate yourself to keep going because you think Mm. things are bleak. I mean, I've worked Mm. on files for the past 10 years that have moved only by an inch, right? Does that mean I should have not worked on them? No. I created, laid down foundations for other to, others to build on. That work had to be done. These things do take time. And therefore, my, my advice is please be patient because, and because this is not going to reap immediate fruits. And two, uh, be passionate but not emotional. Because yes. the minute we internalize the stuff that we see, the, the hardships that we see in, in conflict areas or in bad situations, the minute we become you know, emotional about the work we do, we failed. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we, should be not, we shouldn't be compassionate or we should have no feelings. I'm saying be passionate, but not emotional. Because it will, I break, agree us. With you. It will break us quickly. When you when you get emotional, it's a drain. Oh yeah, of it's course, a dra- it's a drain, and then you're not effective. You're not effective anymore because because this 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 field, whether we like to say it or not, is politics. Huh? I mean, yes. I mean we work in politics. We can't. We're mediators. We're diplomat. No, we work in hardcore politics. That's just another face of it, right? And so politics is hard. It's difficult, and if you bring it home with you. It drains mm-hmm. you, right? So you have to have yes. that kind of insulator, 
insulation where you say, this is the work that I do. And if it, I will not let it get to me. I have to work on my mental health, not to affect me. I mean, if a lot of, I mean, the women that we know, you know, Vesna and others who've worked in, in, in major conflict zones, you know, the, the, what they've seen in their lives, bodies, dead bodies, war, bombs, mm. shells. I mean, if you get frustrated and, and it, let, it gets to you, then you can't do the job. So you have to have tough skin. So girls, you need to have tough skin. You need to be passionate <laughs> and you need to be patient. I remember once I was doing a job with migrants. I was working for a support center for migrants and immigrants. And I worked there for about eight months. And I think the day I stopped is the day my son said to me, you're very ugly when you come home from this job. Very you're good. mad, you're angry, you're frustrated. I want you to leave. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I was obviously, the time was obviously wrong and I wasn't getting the support at work, but I suddenly realized, you know what? Bringing it home means bad news. It means I might not have been effective at work as well. 100%. And I think this is a good example of what we're living today. You know, 70% of healthcare workers are women. Mm -hmm. across the world and what they're seeing and what they're dealing with and how they're trying to keep their families safe, I think is also another example of how, you know, women have to have this ability. Yes, they do. Tell me so that we can end off this interview on a positive note. If you had to name a her woman that's inspired you or that you think is the perfect role model, who would you uh, whose name would you give and why? Oh, that's, I mean, that's a tough one. Are there so many around these days? You shouldn't, there's a choice now. I mean, it has to be my mother. Hands down, no questions okay. asked. It's my mother. Of why? course, because I mean, this is a woman who raised the child in a war. She had to go to work. You know, uh, she would leave me with my grandmother, she, not knowing whether I'll be, she'll, I'll be alive if she came back home. I mean, it's not like we had WhatsApps and phone lines, right? Um, she raised me in a way that, you know, uh, uh, made me strong, uh, made me feel like I can do anything I want. Um, I mean, anything I dreamt of. Um, mm. And uh, she's always pushed me forward and she's always given me wings. I mean, I left home. I was 19 years old. I'm an only child in, an, in the Arab world, you know, born and raised in Lebanon. I mean, you'd think that an only child girl would be kept home until like, you know, forever. But no, I mean, I moved to New York and I, I left home and I never went back, actually. So I would say definitely my mom. I, mean, I, I don't want to sound cliche, but it's the truth. Um, but if we want to look at uh, if we want to look at uh, someone uh, in the political uh, realm or in the political field, I'm currently currently at the moment super inspired by Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister of New Zealand. I think she's absolutely. My, she's my hero right now. She's my like she hero. She's absolutely, my, she's my hero right absolutely. now. I'm I'm super inspired by her. I feel like you know she you you can I can identify myself with with her. I mean she's she's close to people. You know, um, super inspiring lady, and uh, I think she's doing wonders for her country. Well, she's she's a she combines she's a real empathy with. Woman. Yes, she combines empathy with firmness. She knows what she's doing, but she's listening to the people within the community that she's doing it for. So I agree with you. She's a true diplomat. True diplomat woman, a true shero. Mm -hmm. A true shero. Okay, Kami, is there anything you want to add before we close this interview? I just want to say thank you, Magda. I, uh, I hope that um, I wish you luck. I think what you're doing is fantastic. I cannot wait 
to hear the, the, the rest of the podcast. The final product. <laughs> and I'll make sure to share them. And um, yeah, keep up the good work and stay safe. Yes, let's all stay safe. Let's all support each other in whatever we do. And I'm really glad I chose you as my first guest. Thank you, Magda. Afharistopoli. Uh, shokran. <laughs> is that in Arabic? Have I said That's it in it. Arabic? Absolutely. Absolutely. Shokran and stay Thank safe, you. you and your family. You too. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories, please leave comments, suggestions, and reviews and share with anyone you feel may find this equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, You and Woman, and see you on the next episode.